A very, very long time ago, I sought out one of the most proficient Pokemon mod creators to give them one simple task. Make Pokemon Leaf Green as hard as possible without changing anything about the enemy trainers. The creator took this task at first as a fun project. The easiest way to make the game harder would be to take away overpowered Pokemon from the player. He changed starters and took out some of the Pokemon most known for making the game easy. As he went on though, he realized there were quite a few Pokemon that were good. The creator would go through the game again and again, meticulously testing it. Taking out good Pokemon from the wild and putting bad ones in their place. The creator would restrict Pokemon's evolutions so the player would get stuck with Abras or Magikarps. A Pokemon could one-shot something on Erika's team. The creator would ensure the player could not get it before Celadon City. There's an encounter that walls Giovanni's Kangaskhan. The creator would erase it. When the creator had gone through every Pokemon and made sure that only the truly terrible ones were left, he aptly named the game Garbage Green. However, he was not satisfied with what he had made. Slowly, the power he felt over the players was corrupting him, and he started putting more and more restrictions into the game. The creator's next idea was to remove every healing item. He emptied the shelves of Marts, removed every potion from the map, and even disabled abilities that could generate these items. Berries and any way to generate them would be the next victim to fall to the creator's slowly building madness. Next, the creator came for the player's attacks. TMs were changed to weaker moves or simply erased from the game. Powerful moves like Thunderbolt and Psychic would have their power points slashed, and widely available good moves like Surf and Strength would even have their base power cut to almost zero. Nothing in the game's code seemed safe from the creator's greedy claws. The creator was slowly making a monster, and one fateful night, he had the most malicious of ideas. There is one thing you can always rely on when you play a Pokemon game. No matter how difficult a fight was, you can hurry back to the Poke Center, rest, rebuild, and prepare for the next fight. The creator did not like this. And so he made what is now known as the Gauntlets. Almost every route, every cave, every forest, and every gym would lock the player inside until all trainers within that dungeon were defeated. No walking out, no flying, no digging, no teleporting, and no more healing items. The only way out was forward, and it was bloody. And before the creator released the monster into the wild, he had one final decree. That the monster shall only be slain under the rules of the hardest challenge in all of Pokemon, the Hardcore Nuzlocke. Veteran Pokemon players faced the monster, but it turned away when they encountered its unforgiving maw. But for me, it was different. I couldn't give up. I couldn't turn away. Because I was the reason the monster existed in the first place. This is the story of how I conquered the monster.
As always, we start at starter selection. And at first glance, these seem pretty okay. But the creator is a lot more devious than you might think. Take Goldeen. Compared to Paris and Slugma, it seems like an easy call. As a water type, it'll match up fine into Misty, can learn Surf, and should absolutely run over Brock. But in Garbage Green, there's always a catch. Yeah, I will not be reaching level 38 for Brock. If you want to get through Brock's Onyx, you will do so with Peck. Despite this problem, Goldeen has become the clear choice of starter by run number 50. I tried Slugma early on for the memes and actually had a few decent runs with it, but the ability to take multiple hits is extremely important in this run. As you'll see in the gauntlets, health is at a premium, and as the game goes on, Goldeen's pure water typing with only two weaknesses will severely outclass Slugma's fire type and Paris's absolutely brutal grass and bug type. And even though it doesn't get a water move, Goldeen does solid damage to most non-rock types thanks to its early access to the decently powerful horn attack. I haven't had much trouble with Brock, getting past him on 41 of the previous 49 runs. Even though I'm picking from garbage, it's not too hard to build a team that can take on Geodude and Onyx. Even Unknown, one of the possible encounters on Route 1, does pretty decent damage with hidden power as long as you roll any of the special types. But this is a Nuzlocke, and we're not choosing our encounters. We have to take what the RNG gods provide as our first encounter on each route. My Route 1 encounter is Delibird, a Pokemon so bad it has literally no good fights for the entire game, mostly due to the fact that the only move it learns is one that can randomly heal your opponent. But after my next two encounters, I'm feeling pretty confident for the early game. On Route 22, I pick up Wizmer, a normal type that can take great advantage of the strong normal type moves available in the early game. Exploud is removed from the game, so Wizmer reaches its maximum potential at Loudred, one of the best early game Pokemon. For future reference, if you see a Pokemon and think, wow, that evolves into something really good, why is, why is that available? It's because it doesn't evolve. Whatever you think might be good, whatever way you think you've solved the game, the creator has already considered and dealt with. On Route 2, I get Togepi, one of the best support Pokemon in the game. Brock is a great showcase of how deep of a barrel the player has to climb into in order to scrape its bottom for things that can win some of these fights. Basically, Togepi has to charm down his rock types to minimum attack and then roll metronome until it finds a move that can actually kill them. On this attempt, I do find them quite quickly, but a lot of previous attempts were basically just me spamming growls and tail whips, and then spamming normal type moves, chipping away at the rock type's HP while I pray that I don't get crit. The Pokemon Gen 3 AI does help out quite a bit in this fight, because moves like Rock Tomb that lower the opponent's speed are heavily disincentivized by the AI if it is faster than you, Brock's Onyx really likes going for options that do less damage than its only Rock-type attack, Rock Tomb. Can you think of anything more annoying than chipping down this defensive beast of an Onyx with Igglybuff Pounds? It feels like unscrewing a screw with your thumbnail, like microwaving a meal by blowing on it really hard, or like trying to get every single piece of your personal data off the internet. At least that last part the sponsor of today's video, Incogni, can help you out with. You may think there isn't even that much data of you out there, but there really is. You leave a massive trail of it every day without even noticing. Your email address, your phone number, your shopping habits. All of this data is scraped by so-called data brokers. These brokers then sell your data to other companies, which is why you keep getting robocalled and you keep getting spam emails. You'll be shocked at how much of your data is out there and how much anyone from annoying person to malicious person can do with it. Now you can chip away at the Onyx by just going to each individual data broker and asking them to remove your data. They are legally required to do this. Or you can roll Razor Leaf on your metronome so to speak, and use Incogni. If you go to incogni.com slash Pokemon Challenges down in the description, you can sign up to Incogni and they will scrub the internet clean of all of your personal data. The process is extremely quick and easy. You simply create an account, 
grant them the right to work for you, and everything from there on out is just automated. Your data will then be kept off the internet continually. Thank you to Incogni for sponsoring this video. Now that you've gotten your personal data secured, let's secure some more encounters. Mount Moon gives us Beldum. And let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Huh? Uh, yeah, that's right. It does not evolve. Very good. You guys are catching on. I'm really proud of you. Okay, sorry. I'm just still really annoyed at all the people in my chat asking about Pokemon evolutions in this game. And hey, since we're working so great as a team, this is a really thinly veiled transition for you to just subscribe, okay? Just Anyway, it's actually a very interesting encounter because its typing is godlike for the early game. However, it is incredibly limited because the only move it has access to is takedown. Recoil moves are usually not that bad because you can just heal the recoil damage you took after a fight. However, you remember the gauntlets, right? The first of these grueling sets of trainer battles takes place at Nugget Bridge. I'm gonna have to get through double digits worth of trainers on my way to build before I can get access to Misty and the second badge. And this is where the real difficulty comes in. Once I hop this ledge and challenge my rival, I'm locked in here until either I take out all the trainers or I wipe. Nugget Bridge is where I saw most other content creators give up on this game. This gauntlet alone took down seven of my runs. With the help of Beldum and Loudred, however, the attempt 50 gauntlet goes pretty well. At this point, I know every trainer here by heart, and honestly, looking back at this footage, months later, it's actually quite hard for me to follow what's happening because I'm going through the motions so quickly. This is a man who's been grinding this game for 50 attempts over the past week and just wants to get back to the Elite Four. Misty's Gym opens up, and we can fight for the Cascade Badge. My reward for playing Nugget Bridge so well, avoiding the three spinners and taking down the optional hiker fight, was the secret power TM. At 70 base power, this is one of the best moves for the early game, mid game, and honestly with how shit the Pokemon and moves in this game are, also the late game. Misty has been a tough one, deleting 5 runs so far. Her Starmie has great stats compared to my garbage, and if I run out of the few Pokemon available that can deal decent damage to it, Starmie can just recover as much as it wants. It's also a huge source of RNG. Beyond the always present threat of critical hits, confusion from Starmie's water pulse can completely ruin my momentum and turn a win into a wipe. Obviously, the creator gives you no grass types before this point. Bro. Yeah, really cool. I don't want to go Goldeen. I think I go Teddy. Oh my god. I didn't equip my person there either. Okay, so I have to do this. Oh, stop! Alright, sack this. Go to this. Yawn. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unfortunate. Believable, dude. I'm just not allowed to win. For run 50, I make a greedy decision and decide not to teach secret power to Loudred or Apom for the Misty fight, because there's some big payoff to teaching it to another Pokemon down the line. After Loudred uses Howl and four pounds to take down the Staryu, it's onto the real demon of this fight, Starmie. Status heal berries are my best friend in many fights throughout this run, and this one is no different. A prism berry on my seal allows me to shrug off a water pulse confusion and get a couple of speed drops with Icy Wind. I continue by setting up some Tail Whips, which is a combination of words that no Nuzlocker has ever said in their video before. Next, I switch to Hoot Hoot. The calculus here is pretty simple. Hoot Hoot can either hit Hypnosis and put Starmie to sleep, or miss Hypnosis and die. Both outcomes allow me to switch Apom in without taking a Water Pulse, swinging the tempo in my favor. Because Hoot Hoot is quite expendable, I determine the risk of losing it for the rest of the run is worth the basically guaranteed win. Unfortunately, I get the worst of the two potential outcomes, but I'm still feeling good moving into Surge. But first, there's this really creative guarded encounter that I have to pick up. 
Surrounding this tiny patch of grass are a bunch of spinners that you have to avoid to get your encounter. They did cost me a run all the way back at run 22. One of these spinners has a magneton and that's pretty tough to handle at this point in the game with no fire types, no ground types, no good fighting types. This time though, I make it through and I'm rewarded with a Pichu. Eventually this will be very nice for all the bird keepers in the mid game gauntlets. Unfortunately, it's adamant nature reducing its special attack. Surely that won't matter though, right? Speaking of birds, remember what I said about not needing Hoot Hoot? I get to the SSN and realize I'm in severe lack of an Ivysaur counter for the rival fight. Insomnia Hoot Hoot is one of the only consistent answers of the Sleep Powder spammer here. In retrospect, I should have sacrificed Delibird on Starmie instead. Thankfully, my coughing wakes up early and crits through the Ivysaur. I was initially underwhelmed by my coughing pickup back on Route 3, where Ekans or Nidoran had seemed like the best option in past runs. Ekans and Nidoran get bite to better deal with other poison types, while coughing is limited to pretty much only bad moves, and Ekans' shed skin can be super useful against all the status conditions in the gauntlets. You might wonder why I'm stressing so hard over a poison type. Not only do a lot of poison types have mediocre stats, but outside of Sludge Bomb, poison type attacking moves are awful. But, you might remember from your playthroughs of this game, opposing teams are absolutely loaded with poison types. There's no overworld poison damage in Garbage Green, luckily, but poison is still a terrifying status effect. There are berries available to heal poison, but the creator only put a very small amount of them into the game and removed all ways to regenerate them. Its job can't just be to serve as a poison immune switch in though, it has to actually make an offensive impact and I just wasn't sure Coughing could do it. Run number 50 though, made me rethink everything I thought I knew about Garbage Green's poison types. The SSN, like other gauntlets, locks you in until you complete it. And because the SSN leaves when you complete it, you cannot come back for these items later. I don't full clear it this time, but I do grab a Poison Barb, a Dragon Fang, and two essential Petcha Berries before dipping to fight Surge. This dude has been a massive problem for this challenge. There is no opportunity to get the ground type that would make this fight trivial. Even Diglett Cave merely has... Dunsparce. The creator even fucking named it Dunsparce Cave. And this is how Vanilla Lieutenant Surge, with nothing but his Voltorb, Pikachu, and Raichu, became the deadliest fight in the game. In a world of trash, Dunsparce may actually be king. Naturally, I was nervous. Let's watch. Damn, I haven't gotten this in a while. Feels good, man. That might have looked like the most free gym fight you'll ever see. It was a one-button sweep after all, but the fact that I'm relying on rollout at all tells you just how rough this fight is. With 90% accuracy, vanilla rollout is scary enough to put your faith in, but this is garbage green, and the creator has tested the strat. Dunsparce would just be too strong if he had access to a move this good. Instead, rollout's new accuracy is 70%, and the odds for the fight you just saw drop from this to this. I thank my lucky stars and get ready for the rest of the game. This is a pretty significant victory. Only 19 of the first 49 runs got this far. By Pokemon Garbage Green standards, this is already a pretty significant run. Route 8 is another critical encounter. Chinchu. I'll absolutely need another electric type for all the flyers, but unfortunately, it's a jolly nature. Surely another special attack reducing nature on an electric type won't matter, right? While Joseph Campbell rapidly spins in his grave for my overuse of this stupid fucking narrative device, let's look forward to the next encounter, coming up in Rock Tunnel. For the first 49 runs, no single encounter has been a better signal of a run's ability to get to the Elite Four. Here I have the potential to catch the creator's greatest oversight, Larvitar. I caught Larvitar in Rock Tunnel 8 times, and 3 times that encounter took me to the Elite Four. Larvitar only gets one evolution in this game. Poopitar, though, is one of the best Pokemon available in the game. The best attacking Rock type, for sure. 
Holding onto Larvitar's ground type is nice too, as it makes for a great stab Earthquake spammer. A role that is still important, even after Earthquake had his PP significantly reduced, just like a- Ah, oh, fuck! Ah, oh, fuck! Fuck! Sorry, my editors put a shock collar on me that triggers every time I try to write a penis joke into my script. So here we are, at Rock Tunnel, on run 50. I played a greedy Misty and didn't get punished. I got the clean rollout sweep against Surge. But everything I know about this game so far tells me none of that matters if I don't get Larvitar right here, right now. Getting Onyx here at least means I have a rock type that can deal with the many bird keepers on the upcoming gauntlets, as well as a Pokemon that switches into every single normal type move with ease. Onyx is the most defensively capable of the rock tunnel rocks, but it feels terrible to have to rely on that abysmal 45 attack stat for what should be one of the best attacking types in the game. In Vanilla Fire Red and Leaf Green, this is where the game would open up to you. The player has the option to head to Celadon City and do some shopping, take on Erika, go to Fuchsia City, the Dojo, go to Sabrina, the Safari Zone, Koga, all more or less whatever order you want. You know, all that fake non-linearity that all the old heads praise about Gen 1 and 2, even though it completely destroyed the difficulty curve of those games. Garbage Green's design, however, forces the player into a linear path. Erika's gym is blocked by a Snorlax and the exit via Cycling Road, as well as the entrance to the building that hands out tea for the Saffron Guards, are blocked by NPCs claiming to belong to Koga. Looks like we have to wake up the Lax first. So we have to go to Pokemon Tower to get the flute, which means we have to go to Rocket Hideout. And with this begins the gauntlet heaviest phase of the run. Rocket Hideout is a miserable experience. But unlike every other attempt, I have a trick up my sleeve. A secret. Power. A, se a secret power- it's, it's secret power coughing. This is by far the most efficient way to deal with poison types I've had so far. The fact that coughing has the defensive capabilities to deal with other poison types while striking pretty good damage with secret power makes it invaluable for these gauntlets. However, disaster strikes before Giovanni as these grunts at his door heavily weaken my team before I can go into the boss fight. Unable to heal, I'm forced to just run up and hope that Chinchu gets something done. Chinchu would obliterate Giovanni's Rhyhorn and Onyx with even a neutral special attack nature. Instead, it left both on a sliver, and Chinchu was forced to take two otherwise avoidable poison ticks, ending in this incredibly useful Pokemon's demise. But that's not nearly all. The gang slash gym leaders Kangaskhan proceeds to go crazy on the rest of my team, with mega punches ripping through Dunsparce, who manages to paralyze it before going down. Khan tears down Beldum and Loudred next, as I frantically try to use them to chip away at the marsupial's massive HP pool, finally bringing it low enough for Onyx to finish the job as the Rock-type survives with almost nothing left. Do you see this team screen at the Giovanni fight? This is why these gauntlets are so intense. Things don't get any easier though. Rocket Hideout was tough, ending two runs in the past already. Lavender Tower, where the game forces me next, it took down five. Pokemon Tower essentially consists of four different layers of bullshit that your team of six needs to be able to dig through without healing in between. Layer 1. The Rival Fight Sporting a Gyarados and a deadly, hard-hitting Kadabra, as well as a Sleep Powder spamming Ivysaur, means that you're probably taking heavy damage on this fight and have to dedicate a lot of firepower and team slots to Gary's diverse team. It's beatable, but it limits your options right from the get-go. My Pikachu with Thunderbolt is very nice here, but unfortunately Thunderbolt also had its PP decimated, meaning you have to be really careful what you use the move on. Layer 2. The Channelers. These creepy ladies might seem quite beatable at first glance because they all have basically the same Pokemon, but the ghastly sets in particular are actually quite annoying. Their only real damaging move is Nightshade, meaning you can just bring a normal type to wall their attacks. However, the normal type also needs to be able to kill the ghastly very quickly. 
One, because the Ghastly can use Confuse Ray to slow you down from killing them and whittle away at your limited HP. Two, they can use Spite after you hit them to greatly reduce the limited PP you have on your damaging moves. Three, the worst case, assuming they have more than half their HP left, they can use Curse and deal an instant 25% damage to you. A quarter of your health is crazy when you consider the sheer number of Ghastlies you fight here. Basically, what I'm saying is Pokemon Tower is exactly like reading YouTube comments. I have an advantage on attempt 50 though. Spell Tag Apom. In Garbage Green, the Spell Tag is an optional item that you can pick up in Rock Tunnel if you fight two additional trainers at the end of the cave's gauntlet. If you try to go back for this item later, it will no longer be available. You see, it just so turns out that an Apom with a 10% boost to its Ghost-type attacks can actually outspeed and one-shot a lot of these Ghastlies using Astonish. Layer 3. The Marowak. As you pass the obviously non-functional heal pad, you must next face the terror that is Marowak. It's level 30, and because of hardcore Nuzlocke rules, I cannot allow my Pokemon to surpass level 29, the level of Erika's Vileplume. Whenever one of my Pokemon overlevels the next gym leader, I have to box it until I beat that gym leader. This Marowak outputs terrifying amounts of damage. Grass types do really well against it, but are otherwise terrible for the rest of the tower, and you only have 6 team slots. I throw my Shroomish at it, getting as much Leech Seed chip as I can until it falls. Apom can then finally finish it off, but not before overleveling, essentially making it a dead and unusable Pokemon until I get the next badge. I have 4 Pokemon left for Layer 4, the Rockets. As you enter the final floor with a horribly disfigured team, you're greeted with one last set of trainers before you can heal. These fights are really forgettable in vanilla, but goddamn will I remember every Pokemon on these teams until the day that I die. Every single time I enter this floor, in any of my attempts, my team looks like this. Or like this. Or like this. Wait, sorry, that's my new passport photo, I know how that got in there. I am extremely low on firepower, and sacrificed my Rotata for some tempo on the Golbat that I should have used my last Thunderbolt PP on in hindsight. I take one more big risk by Thunderbolting this coughing that is not unlikely to explode, and then my own coughing manages to somehow scrape out a victory on the final Rocket Grunt. I'm not looking great coming out of the tower. I have a lot of deaths considering the hardest, gauntlet-heaviest part of the game is far from over. The good news, I pick up Trapinch. It may not have its perfect teammate in Poopitar, the duo that powered Run 34 to the late game, but Vibrava does extremely well in the upcoming gyms thanks to its access to both Fly and Dig. Stab Dig means you can one-shot a lot of pesky Grimers. <laughs> Stab Dig and it- Ah, oh, fuck! God fucking damn! It's also the best Voltorb counter in the game as it basically forces them to explode while it outspeeds and digs out of the way. Using the Poke Flute, I can clear the Snorlax blocking Erika's gym. Yeah, all static encounters were turned into dittos in this game. Isn't that kind of kind of cute? Isn't that kind of fucking clever? It, even the legendary birds are uh, dittos. It's because ditto turns into... Erika is a fight that's almost impossible to make difficult. Another constraint is imposed on the player here as a result. Only four Pokemon can be brought to the battle, and with this constraint, Erika was able to end two of my runs, 15 and 41. Her Victory Bell's ability to spread status, especially paralysis, is the most threatening part of the fight, and played a huge role in both wipes. But to make matters worse, you also need a cut user to even enter the gym, and my only surviving cut friend Apom is overleveled, and I won't be able to use it in battle. So it's really just a 3 mon limit this time, making me even more vulnerable to potential hacks. Once again, Hootoot would actually be really nice to have here. Instead, I'm liking grass counters to such a degree that I decide my best strategy is to chip away as much as I can with a lead Ditto. Ditto actually fills a really interesting niche in this game. It's terrible for gauntlets, but often can allow you to 1v1 one of a gym leader's Pokemon if you use it correctly. Unfortunately, it gets poisoned immediately and is next to useless. Coffin continues to pull its weight in a big way here. Mankey can finish off the battle, but the MVP of this one is clearly still coughing, and it's not even remotely done making an impact. 
With the gym battle cleared, Koga's people clear the way to Cycling Road. The path to Koga goes through two gauntlets. We go down Cycling Road, taking on a gauntlet full of some of the most annoying trainers in the game. Next, we arrive at Future City just to see that we're going to need strength to progress. In this game, strength is locked behind another gauntlet, this stretch covering routes 15, 14, and 13 connecting Lavender Town and Future City, also known as the 1513 gauntlet. Cycling Road and the 1513 gauntlet combined to kill five prior runs. Even if they don't kill the run directly, they can leave us without critical Pokemon for future battles. These gauntlets force some of the most critical team building decisions of the entire run. Some Pokemon are easy calls because their typing makes them essentially required, but filling the rest requires me to optimize so many variables. How many berries do I have access to? How many Pokemon of certain typings do I have available, and can I replace them later? Do I have anything that can switch into or bait the many self-destructs I'll face on these routes? Cycling Road is just horrible. There's basically three huge threats to deal with. First, fighting types with great damage output, including two Machamps, so make sure to keep alive the strongest garbage green flying types, like Talo. Woo! There's a metric fuck ton of Grimers, Coughings, Mucks, and Weezings whose sheer mass means that if you use a non-poison type, you will get poisoned. Finally, the gauntlet only lets you back out if you manage to also beat all three of these bird catchers that have tri-attacking Dodrios. Just... yeah. This time though, Secret Power Weezing saves us. Weezing, Pikachu, and Poison Tailo making a return from EK are forming an unstoppable trio here. Until that adamant nature on Pikachu finally rears its ugly, ugly head on the very last fight of Cycling Road. I mean, Seal's probably decent for 1513. <laughs> I got the burn, dude. Really? Adamant Pikachu strikes again, man. I should have just used Onyx. I got greedy. Well, that's GG. Survive on 1 HP into survive on 1 HP into burn. That's insane. Okay, so like, yeah, so we're f I can't win now because I have nothing to kill the bird keepers with. 1513 is a gauntlet that just overwhelms you with so much shit that you can't possibly beat everything. There are just too many different kinds of trainers for your six shitty Pokemon to have to face. But we have to go for it anyway. I don't care enough to pick up the silk scarf. Sorry. Just want this to be over with. Damn, Silk Scarf actually missing. <laughs> Insane. Silk Scarf would have unironically saved me so much PP. <laughs> it's not quite Blaze, right? No, I think that is Blaze actually. Pog? Okay, Blaze Gaming. Save that last flame wheel. I have enough cut PP, I don't need to keep scratch for PP. I was just too- I could've gotten the Silk Scarf now through another gauntlet, I was just too lazy. I have 10 secret powers left. Should probably save them all. You know what? Blaze Gaming. Oh, Blaze Gaming? Okay. Somehow, someway, this is going okay. Two rock slides left. Somehow! This is one of the better 1513 gauntlets I've had. <laughs> I don't know what the f happened. Who do I lead with on the fighting types? Probably just. Oh, let's do Mankey maybe. Holy f cross chop damage. Mankey, what the f? Dude, I haven't used a rest TM yet. What the f? is happening in this run? This is the most run I've had in Fuchsia, like, 
in a long time and somehow I had my best 15-13 gauntlet ever. No, I think I ch completely changed my mind. Weezing is amazing. Secret power Weezing is insane. Koga's team is completely monotype, including for some reason two coughings. This team is annoying at best and run ending at worst like it was on run 44, when Muck simply set up all of its minimizes and all of his asset armors locking me out of the win. One critical aspect of team building for this run, where my Pokemon choices are so limited, is correctly picking self-destruct fodder. For this fight, I choose Fanpy, an expendable Pokemon that otherwise would have rotted in the box. Fanpy could have literally done nothing and I would have been satisfied. Instead, it hit three rollouts and took a KO before going down. It's just so damn fun how this game makes you utilize even the shittiest scraps in your box. Weezing though remains the MVP. It deals solid damage to Koga's poison types with secret power and it hits surprisingly hard even through resistances with Stab Sludge, on top of nullifying the one loss condition thanks to Haze. The cracks in the creator's armor are showing. After grabbing the Silk Scarf from one of the easiest optional gauntlets in the game, I turn my attention towards Route 12, Dustox. It's a high-risk, high-reward encounter. It can whirlwind you at any point, but if you catch it, you have the best Poison-type counter in the game. It sweeps Sabrina, does great on Agatha, and gets access to Toxic and Moonlight. Losing out on this and Pupitar hurts a lot. I'm not that worried about this run's ability to reach the Elite Four, only one run that's made it this far has failed to do so, and I'm not losing to Blade again, but I really lack strong options for the Indigo Plateau this time. I'll need to get some good encounters in the late game if I want to have a shot. I breeze through the Fighting Gojo, which is an easy gauntlet. The reward is a Metatite, and depending on speed stat, it's either an easy take for the Elite Four, or it spends the rest of the run in the box. If it's speedy, it can roll through both Lorelei and Bruno using a pre-damage reversal strategy. Unfortunately, I don't roll the right stats, and it's back to the drawing board for my Elite Four team. Dude, I just can't have anything, man. It's so crazy how, like, basically three IV slash nature rolls sealed this game. Both of my electric types hadn't been adamant. I just need one of them to survive for a good chance of Lorelei, either Chinchu, or if Pikachu survives, I can trade it for Salak Berry and then the Metatite sweeps anyway. Sylphco's Gauntlet is extremely long, featuring 28 fights and a single-use heal point that you can access before the final three fights. This part usually isn't a problem, especially with Vibrava, who can handle Grimers, Voltorbs, Magnemites, and Magnetons. That's already like half the Gauntlet. However, this is probably the Gauntlet with the tightest resource management in the game. Okay, this is the, uh, the Weezing that can explode. Good luck. Oh man, we're kind of f***ed. I'm probably going to have to commit my rest TM, huh? Okay, good crit. Okay, we need to think about dig PP. It's always exactly Sonic Boom, right? Oh, kind of f***, dude. Why would you do this to Um, this can boom. Yep, just like that. Yeah, very efficient dig PP there at least. This is already looking pretty bad. I'm out of cherry berries, right? I have one more. I don't need Tropius right now though. I can't really check it now at all. Wait, I don't have confusion! <gasps> no! This thing is useless! Well, this is really awkward. Remember when I was like, oh, what am I gonna need another cherry berry for? Oh god, hold on. I actually don't have a good answer for this. I just got a magic leaf. Dude, how sick is Tropius? What the f*** is this guy doing to these guys? 
Maybe I should have just committed rest for it. But I, I, I think with the four looking as poorly as it is, I think saving the rest TM is probably the right move, right? And if I wipe because I saved the rest TM, that's okay. Because I probably can't beat the Elite Four without it anyway. That's gonna be my logic, my cope. Was he faster than me? Fucking Christ. I think this is a wipe. I can't reach the heal. How many digs do I have left? One. I kind of threw with the meta type bring. I don't have enough digs left. I need to kill two Magneton. Nice. I can't YOLO to this. I ha- I almost have to. <laughs> what else can I do? Sack and then... Waterfall, I guess? Yeah. Easy. Knew I would survive on one. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Okay, one more, two more trainers. <laughs> Dude. How do I even beat this one? Oh, it's two more trainers. I'm f I can't win. I should probably commit the Lepa Berry, right? Yeah, let's Lepa. Nice. Maybe Vibrava can clutch here. It's the last trainer before the heal. Should have equipped Prism punished. <laughs> Unbelievably clutch. After the heal though, the rest of the gauntlet goes a lot more smoothly. The Giovanni fight is clutched by once again Weezing, who continues to establish himself as the MVP of this run. On to Sabrina. Do you think Future Side's gonna do half? <laughs> Probably right. Let's switch. Probably didn't really switch into the right Pokemon there, huh? Oh, no time, baby. Woof. 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 Okay, this is interesting. I actually need to keep Taylor alive, kind of, huh? Oh yeah, gust hits when you're flying, huh? I'm getting kind of diced up, I'm not gonna lie. This kind of walls it, though. Alright, let's do this. Shit. Okay. Nice. Easy. <laughs> I'm just losing mons in every single boss fight and every single f***ing gauntlet. It's so insane. 
To get to Blaine, we go through all the water routes and the Seafoam Islands. This is another fairly stress-free gauntlet, despite a restriction that forces you to bring no more than one grass or electric type. Conveniently for me, all my electric types are dead. Woo. Of the four encounters between Fuchsia and Cinnabar, two are really useful. I nab a Duskull and a Quillfish. Duskull is the real prize. Dusclops has above average bulk, consistent damage and seismic toss, great typing, and a great stab move to spam with Shadow Punch. But don't forget about Quillfish, who might actually make it on the Elite Four team as a fairly scuffed counter to Lapras and Dragonite. The Blaine fight mirrors the Koga fight. It's a monotype team of a bad defensive type, so in theory, it should be one of the easiest fights in the game. In practice, that's mostly the case, but I did find one way to lose here. To give some challenge to the Blaine fight, which comes at a point in the game where you can easily just load up on water and rock types, the entire gym is turned into a gauntlet, and you're limited to just three Pokemon. The quiz questions are all changed so that no matter what you answer, you have to fight the trainers. On run three, one of the few in which I tried Paris as the starter, I built my strategy for Blaine around manipulating the AI's response to Vulpix's flash fire ability. With only three Pokemon, I didn't have the margin for error to get calls like that wrong, and I wiped quickly. That's a mistake I wouldn't be making again. Seeking has somehow survived the entire run, which makes me especially well positioned for this Blaine fight. He's joined here by Wartortle and Vibrava. Wartortle's job is to set up Rain Dance and either die or get roared out, allowing Seeking to smack Blaine with boosted water moves. Things didn't go exactly to plan. They actually went better. This Wartortle was an absolute tank, taking out Blaine all by itself on 1 HP just as the final Rain Dance turn ticked away. Before we can head to Viridian and take down Giovanni for the final time, Garbage Green forces you to the Sevi Islands for Rock Smash, which will be necessary to enter Viridian Gym. That's fine by me, as I definitely need to find some better encounters before the Elite Four. All the Poke Centers on the islands are disabled, and you cannot return here after you leave, so you have to fight every trainer here and get all of your encounters without healing. There are six encounters along the way with a 26 trainer gauntlet. This is gonna be so spooky. Weezing kinda has to perform here. Nice crit, really important. This can't explode. Easy, easy. Come on, come on, come on. Just a little bit more. Nice! Okay. <laughs> well, wheezing. God damn, what a f poison type. What a performance. Unironically, this is, I think, the last point in the game where he's good, although I think maybe E4. What a performance. Weezing carried this run, is 100% the MVP of this run. It's not even particularly close. What a champion he has been. There is, however, one massive silver lining. Nice. Finally, I'm rewarded for successfully slogging through the mid-game with Onyx and its non-existent attack stat. Even though I missed out on some other useful encounters, drawing Parasect and Corsola over what would have been valuable Dark types in Crawdon and Murkrow, adding Pupitar is a huge boost to this run's chances of finishing. Against Giovanni, you can see the backbone of what becomes my Elite Four team in action. Tropius picks up some big KOs, Vibrava helps along the way, and staring down his Nidoking, I show why Dusclops is so valuable. Will-O-Wisp renders Nidoking useless as it finishes the fight and maintains my perfect record against the 8th gym. Pupitar starts to show its worth against the rival outside Victory Road as well, showing why it was so important to play the Sevi Islands in a way that guaranteed the encounter. Victory Road is buffed so that the trainers all have 5 Pokemon instead of 3, but the level cap for the Elite Four is high enough that I don't have any trouble at all. 
I don't find anything particularly useful in the few encounters remaining on my way to Indigo Plateau, so I'll be going in with these six. Seeking has somehow survived the entire run. It has the second highest HP of the team, and a great defensive type in pure water. It'll have to absorb a lot of hits to make this run work. Quillfish is here primarily for Lorelei, as a water type that can absorb her hits and dish out pretty reasonable damage with revenge, while also being my only reliable Dragonite counter. Pupitar is the biggest physical threat, packing Stab, Rock, Slide, and Earthquake. Even though it doesn't get Stab without evolving into Tyranitar, Crunch still serves as an excellent coverage in addition. Mightyena is the much-needed Dark type to give me a switch in for Agatha's Psychic moves. Mightyena is probably the worst Pokemon on the team in a vacuum, but it brings some pretty unique tools to the table. Taunt is always great utility to have around, and Counter can even find some kills in the right scenario. Tropius has been around for a long, long time, serving as our flyer. Fly, it turns out, is also one of the best physical attacking moves in Garbage Green. Finally, the Dusclops is there with the usual Shadow Punch, Seismic Toss, and Will-O-Wisp. But the fourth move I go for is Skill Swap. It's my fourth crack at this Elite Four and Champion Gauntlet. The shades are on. Let's do this. Lorelei is just as scary as any other fight here, as aside from a pretty strong team, she is consistently threatening Freeze. Heal Berries are running low at this point too, so it's not like I can just throw Lumberries on everything. Run 33, the first of the two consecutive Elite Four runs, was a display of just how bad the RNG can get in this fight. Ranges were missed, criticals were hit. Sometimes Pokemon games just don't want to let you win. And no fight in Garbage Green is more potential to shut you down with RNG than Lorelei. It's terrifying right from the start. Seeking resists pretty much everything she can throw at me, but if Seeking gets frozen, I'm in huge trouble. Thankfully, he doesn't, and with the Silk Scarf equipped, Seeking is throwing up good damage with max power returns. Returns PP is reduced, so I have to use some horn attacks to help out, but I avoid all the freezes. As she brings in Cloyster, the weather phase of the fight begins. Cloyster's only ice move is Hail, so I can safely bring in Tropius. Sunny Day both eliminates the Hail chip and allows us to throw out some more really underwhelming solar beams. I guess it's still garbage green, huh? Mightyena is mostly here for Agatha, but it also serves as a nice check for Lorelei Slowbro, a perfect target for its crunches. It gets yawned before it can finish the job though, and things get a little bit more complicated. I think I'll just take the sleep. I'm also dead to Surf Crit. I think I just crunch. Maybe I can land the crit. Unlucky. I might actually be dead to crit home. Easy. I have to switch out of Jinx anyway, but like this could bait attract, which would be huge. Oh, lovely kiss, kiss would be so cringe, man. The only issue is if this gets put to sleep or frozen, I can lose. I could go to Dusclops first, actually. And if Dusclops gets put to sleep, I go to Quillfish. I think that's probably the highest win percent. Yep. I might stay in and try to wake up burn some sleep turns. I think it's better to burn them here than on Lapras. Alright, time to switch. Don't get frozen. That works. Alright, good luck Quillfish. Alright, just confuse Ray. Actually, that's not even good, right? Because I don't get the revenge boost. I didn't really think this through, did I? Okay. Let's think about our options here. We can Revenge again, which is worse into Confuse Ray. We can Sludge Bomb, 
which maybe sets up a kill and maybe not. It's range dependent, but it doesn't put him into full restore range. If I hit the revenge off of an ice beam, I might get a kill, but it's also a range. Revenge is 37% to kill. Um, sludge bomb should always, two sludge bombs should always kill, so let's fucking go for it. And it shouldn't put him into full restore range. Don't do it. Oh, f that might be full restore range now. Oh, not after citrus though. I forgot about citrus, but it actually helps me here. The poison is so clutch. I'm pretty sure this is a kill. I'm going for it. Get f***ing shit on you! It's not enough to just beat Lorelei. If I wanted a chance at completing the run, one death was probably the most I could have handled. Getting through Deathless is massive, and I'm extremely well positioned for the next two fights as well. First, Bruno. Everything goes according to plan. Seeking gets rid of the Onyx right away and gets some damage down on the Hitmonchan before switching out for Tropius. Fly might seem like the obvious call here, but if it doesn't KO, Hitmonchan can swing back with counter. I can play around this with a Magical Leaf into Fly combination. Now Bruno brings out the Machamp. Machamp is by far the scariest part of the Bruno fight. Thanks to Dusclops' Will-O-Wisp, I usually don't have to worry too much about physical attackers, but Machamp's Guts ability completely nullifies that strategy, because it increases Machamp's damage after the burn instead of reducing it. It's also carrying Rock Tomb to hit ghost types, so I can't just sit on it with Dusclops. I also can't get too careful with switches, because if I give it time, it'll stack up bulk ups, and not only will it be threatening KOs, it'll be impossible to take down. But I've got one more trick up my sleeve. How do you actually kill the f***ing Machamp? I think the Machamp is actually a really f***ing scary Pokemon here. Does Dusclops get Skill Swap? South of Lavender is Skill Swap? Just Skill Swap Will-O-Wisp, right? I think it's Skill Swap plus Will-O-Wisp on the Machamp. It's kind of insane. By removing Guts, I can safely burn it, and thankfully, Dusclops nails the Will-O-Wisp. It's not over, as Machamp keeps setting up a scary amount of bulk ups, but Dusclops is able to clear it out. Seeking gets rid of the second Onyx just as easily as the first. Finally, after a battle with my most terrifying opponent yet, counting PP, I managed to stall out the Hitmonlee and close out the first half of the Elite Four, still deathless. I haven't lost any runs to Agatha, but she did major damage on run 34. Her Gengar put me in a position where I had no choice but to sacrifice my Meditite that made Lorelei such a breeze. This time though, my team is well constructed to handle her. Agatha is Mighty Anna's time to shine. Obviously, Crunch is a huge threat into most of her team, but Taunt is a massive deal here as well. I immediately use it to shut down her first Gengar and stop her from doing what is known as the Desperate Nuzlocker special, Toxic and Double Team. Poopitar takes out the Golbat for free, Quillface is here to hard counter Agatha's Arbok. The Haunter has Mean Look, Hypnosis, and Curse, so I bring in Tropius. It's the least scary thing to get trapped in, and it has a chest barrier to shrug off the Hypnosis. Unfortunately, Fly misses, but Haunter curses, and a second Fly takes it out before Tropius loses too much health. Dusclops finishes it off with ease, and it's on to Lance. Lance into blue ended both run 10 and 34. Run 10 made it all the way to the champion, but Lance still made his mark. Gyarados shockingly survived a Thunder Punch from Elekid, and he killed it right back with a Hyper Beam. And then, in the course of attempting to wall out Lance's Dragonite, Mawile dropped to an Outrage, and so did Cacturn. With only three Pokemon left for Blue, it was always going to be tough. Blue's team was just too strong, too high level, and too... not trash. Run 34, the run immediately after the horrible RNG loss to Lorelei, was weakened by Agatha, and then brutally ended by Lance's Aerodactyl. This was the first time I had ever had back-to-back -back Elite Four runs in one of my Nuzlocks, and I'd basically done it in one sitting as well. Never before had I been as close to giving up on a run as I was on attempt 34.
Before I play the final fights of Attempt 50, I'd like to ask you something. When was the last time you really wanted to give up on something, but didn't? Why didn't you? And most importantly, was it worth it? We've been here before, guys. Gyarados Intimidate, get rid of that with White Herb. Ensure the Rock Slide to it, KO. This just needs to stay healthy. It just needs to stay healthy. It just needs to not be in kill range of Aerodactyl. That's all this needs to do. I don't need to save Rock Slides. Easy. Um, let's go to Tropius first. Well, let's get a Seeking. Seize this time, come on. Let's do this sh Silk Scarf should get make this a 2 at KO. Woohoohoohoo! Fucking worth it. Oh, wait! I was supposed to keep this full HP, right? <laughs> Whoops. Well, we really can't get crit on Quillfish now. Oh my god. How am I throwing again? This is Thunder Wave. I could pivot through Poopitar. I'm pretty sure it's guaranteed to be Thunder Wave. The punish is getting hit with an outrage on Poopitar. If it gets crit, I think I might lose again. Let's just go to Mightyena. This turn is also guaranteed Thunder Wave. Quillfish really has to hold, man. It really has to hold. Okay. I think I'm staying in. Hyper Beam always kills. Does Outrage always kill? Alright, Quillfish, time to hold, buddy. It is time to f***ing hold on. Quillfish holds! See ya. Thanks for saving the run, Quillfish. We are going to blue. Look how different this plays out when our poopy tar is actually healthy, man. Oh, baby. Is this run finally over? Let's not call it too early. Please let me finish this game, man. <sighs> Taunt. Still locking an early ace so I can't like feather dance my poopy tar. Or whirlwind or some dumb shit like that. This needs to be pretty healthy. I need it for Arcanine. This is full restore. I think I'll just rock slide again. Okay, yeah, that can happen too. No good uh, play around there. Okay, sick. Good job, Poopitar. This is not always Earthquake. This can definitely be Rock Tomb. If, it ro if it's Rock Tomb, I just stay in. This is definitely slower than me. But taking an Earthquake is actually really scary. Tropius is actually somehow slower than this. Reminding us just one more time that we are in fact playing a goddamn trash lock. And uh, Seeking is dead to crit here. Oh, rock Tomb does so much to Tropius too. Is Seeking still faster after Rock Tomb? No, it's, it won't be faster after Rock Tomb either. Don't. Easy. Seize us, baby. Best starter in the game! I think this is Venusaur, right? Yep. This only has Solar Beam as an attacking move. Tropius walls this. This is what we brought Tropius. There we go. Alright, back to Poopitar. I think I will rest once here. 
kill with crunch to conserve uh, rock slide PP. And then it's Gyarados Hydro Pump after this. Although if he starts thrashing, I might just go to Pupitara. So stupid. Three more. This is a pretty decent spot to sack this. Although it's maybe best on the Arcanine. I definitely wait to see the first thrash before I do anything. Okay, that's fine. Wow. Tropius, you really are one of the Pokemon of all time. Fly's more damage here. Um, do I want to save Fly PP? Kinda. Synthesis might have been good. I might be dead to Thrash now. It doesn't really super matter. I think you saw a kill with it. Nope. Not even close. So, Tropius would actually 1v1 this, but I'm gonna run out of PP. I, if I go to Dusclops, the Thrash just ends. Which is cringe. So, we're gonna go to Pupitar here. Although... There is like a thing where we only have one more rest PP, right? And when when can we even use it? The Arcanine can still wipe us. Let's stay in. That's a crit. I think I'm dead to the next one if he doesn't two turn and get confused. Okay. Although if he gets two turn and then just kills me, it's also kind of cringe. Do it. Do it. Just hit yourself. Unlucky. He's locked in now. Pretty sure this is Poopitar. Excellent. Don't miss. Super good. This is Alakazam, I think. And this is why we brought Mighty Anna. It's not gonna work on Crunch, buddy. He might stall me out of Crunch PP here. <laughs> Be really fucking stupid. Okay, this is perfect. We definitely taunt now. Okay, we need to track that future side. I think we just leave Mightyena in until that hits and just sack it. That's like almost definitely the best play, unless we really want to get an Intimidate on Arcanine. I think this is Checkmate. He's out of full restores too. See ya, Mightyena. Thanks for coming to the E4 with us, buddy. Thanks for not roaring me when I f captured you. Go Clops first, I guess, to tank the future site. This doesn't look over to me, I'm not gonna lie. Alright, Caesus. I can still lose to flamethrower burn, I think. There's no more full restore. There is another full restore, actually. God damn. Oh, baby. <sighs> to the last second, dude. Don't crit. That was actually a kill, okay. I think I lose to flamethrower burn. I think. Maybe even to crit. Come on, this kills 100%. Let's fing go, dude, finally! Oh my god. Oh my god. What a great game.